It's good to see each one this morning, and uh, before we begin our lesson, I do have one uh, request that was made this past week. Sister Brandy Wilcher uh, asked me if we would have prayer together. She said that she needed to be restored, and she said if we would, she'd like to have a prayer then and then to be announced this morning that she had repented and wanted to be restored. If you go back to the church at Philippi, and you think about all the events that occurred after Paul met with those ladies down by the riverside, what developed from that was a tremendous congregation there at Philippi. Paul wanted them to recognize the importance of the church there growing, progressing, and becoming a faithful group of God's people. So we come to chapter 3 and look at verses 12 through 14. There is an emphasis upon Paul understanding real values. Last, or excuse me, two weeks ago, when we studied the first part of chapter 3. We saw there how Paul would consider everything for loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. For him, there was nothing more important than the Lord. He was able to let go of who he had been in favor of who he ought to become. There's always a temptation for each of us to want to hang on to something that is old. We do that in physical things, and we tend to do that in spiritual things as well. For instance, those of us who are men, how many of you have an old shirt, an old jacket, that your wife has wanted to throw away for the last 10 years, and you've said, no, I'm not going to give up, I, I like it, it's old. And at the same time, some of you ladies, how often have you had something in your home that is old, it has memories with it, and your husband says, let's get rid of that and get a new one. No, 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 I want to hold on to what is familiar to me, to what is precious to me. The Apostle Paul was trying to get people to understand that spiritually speaking, so many people wanted to hold on to who they had been and what they were. For instance, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, But now, after you have, been, you have known God, or rather been known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire to again to be in bondage. Why do you want to go back to that Old Testament law? The Galatians knew that Old Testament. That was familiar to them. It was something to be desired to them. If you go to Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, Jesus puts it very simply. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What our Lord was describing was people who would look back longingly for the life which they had previously lived. When you come to Luke chapter 17, our Lord is describing the destruction of Jerusalem. And he puts it simply like this. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one that is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. There is such a temptation on our part because of what we have to look back, 
to hold on. And we have to realize that in this passage, Paul says to us, we need to keep pressing on. We sang that song just a few moments ago. I asked Brother Leonard to do that for two reasons. Number one, I asked him to lead that song because it certainly focuses our mind on the thoughts which we are trying to present this morning. The other, if you haven't been able to determine, my voice is not very strong and may not last very long, so I had to make sure we used our time productively this morning. We want to look at three things that come from these three verses. Paul's perspective of looking back to his past, to his perspective of looking where he is now, has he arrived where he is, his present, and then to look to the future, where Paul wants to be. Let's begin as we start our study in verse 13 of that passage. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Notice the phrase, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, why might a person want to look backwards? Well, I suggest to you there are three reasons. We're going to explore those. You may look backward because of regret over mistakes, things that you've done that you ought not to have done, and now you feel terrible about them, awful about them. Number two, you may look backward for the remembrance of what was fun or enjoyable and what was familiar to us, things that had been something pleasurable to us. And then number three, we may look back with pride over our accomplishments. Well, let's take each one of those for just a moment and see if we can learn something. How many of you have regrets, deep regrets, over something that you have done wrong in your past life? In fact, I will tell you that many people will look back at their former life and they sometimes have difficulty forgiving themselves. For instance, if those sins have been forgiven, they should not hold you back. They shouldn't keep you from becoming the person that you ought to be. Listen to Paul as he describes this in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. There's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy because uh, in first in me, Jesus Christ might show to all long-suffering as a pattern of those who will or who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul said you have to look and see I was the chiefest of sinners. But he says I have become a pattern. Something that people can look at and say you can put that behind you. When John wrote his general epistle, chapter 2, verse 12, he said, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. We need to understand that when we become a Christian, when we are baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins, and we come up out of that water, every sin prior to that time, has been fully 
completely forgiven. That's hard for us to think of sometimes. The best passage that I can think of as a commentary on this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And Paul will tell them that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he enumerates a number of very ugly sins. He says, Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, <clears throat> will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. You see, in the church at Corinth, there have been a number of people who had done things that were very bad. But they were forgiven. Now, I will tell you that sometimes we want to look back and we want to remember the sins that we had committed. We want to remember the fun that we had and those things are familiar. We want to hold on to them. In Acts 7 and verse 39, and I will tell you that you could really expand on this part. Luke records, Whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. He's describing the children of Israel. When they came out of that Egyptian bondage and they were being led through the wilderness, they were saying, this is not what we're looking for. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to be able to enjoy the, the vegetables there, the various spices that we had there. You see, their hearts were there. I can tell you I have met a number of people who came and wanted to become New Testament Christians. They were baptized for the remission of their sins. And then sometime thereafter, their old familiar friends, the people with whom they committed a number of sins, began to have influence on them. And they went right back to doing what they were doing. And you know, Peter describes that in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. And he talks about these people who are enticing them. And they speak great swelling words of emptiness. And they allure through the lust of the flesh those who are just escaped from those who live in error. And if you drop down to notice with me verses 21 and 22. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having turned from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and the sow that was washed to the walling in the mire. But then the third thing that many of us might do in looking backwards is to look back with some pride over our accomplishments. Look what I have done. I taught Bible class for 15 years. I remember the time when we went on a mission trip. And we were able to knock 50 doors a day per person. I can remember when we did this. And they're constantly living in the past of what they have done. And too often we become proud of our accomplishments. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. In Luke 17 verse 10. So likewise you when you have done all those things which... 
you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Too many people think that God owes them something because of what they've done in the past. And Jesus said, you've just done what you were supposed to do. In Isaiah 64 and verse 6, he says, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. You and I have to understand that I, if I present my very best to God, and I do the very best that I can, I have nothing to glory over. I have nothing to brag about. And Paul, in this context, rejects this idea of the pride of one's pedigree. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, this is someone who could say, if you want to find a good Jew, I was a good Jew. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind. Now for just a moment, think about the present. Some people live only for the moment. It's just today. I'm not going to think about tomorrow. I'm just going to live for the here and the now. You know, as you think about it, they've satisfied with who they are. You know, they don't want to have any self-improvement. They're content to have just enough to get by with today. We'll not worry about tomorrow. They never think about the obligations of their future. I've seen people that uh, they're out and they're, maybe they're wanting to purchase something. And say, well, don't you have some bills coming up? Oh, I'll worry about that when that comes. They spend today with no thought for tomorrow because so many people are seeking an instant gratification. I want to just have my fun now. I'll worry about tomorrow sometime later. Solomon very wisely said in Proverbs 6, beginning with verse 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, <clears throat> which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. You see, the ant understands the great value of preparation. And in chapter 30, verse 25, there, the ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in summer. Some people are only thinking about today. Am I happy today? Well, okay. What will be tomorrow? I don't know. And they don't care. In Matthew 25, beginning with verse 1, going through verse 12, we don't have time to read it all, but you know it is the parable of the five foolish virgins and the five wise ones. Verses 1 and all going verses 1 through 4 will tell you that they were going to a wedding. They were waiting on the bridegroom. These ten virgins brought their lamps. Five brought sufficient oil and others only brought what was in their lamps. In verse 8, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. The wise answered and said, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, 
But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And you know the parable went on to say that the door was shut. Some people will wait till tomorrow to try to prepare for their salvation. Not thinking about tomorrow. Which leads me to the last part of our lesson, the future. If you look with me at verses 12 and 14, Paul says, Not that we have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Dropping down to verse 14, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to notice very, very carefully, Paul says that he does not believe that he has arrived. How do you know that? Look at the way he puts it. Not that we have already attained. I've mentioned several times the tenses of the words sometimes reveal a lot. The aorist tense in the language always indicates a point in time, a point of action. He said, we have not got to the point where we have attained. It's not something that we have yet. Then he's going to say, or am already perfected. This is in another tense called the perfect tense. And the perfect tense is something that has ongoing action to a certain point in time, and then it is completed. It's not as if in the past I have already received my salvation, nor have I done all these things and now I've completed it. There's two different ways of saying what he's his point there. And then he says, not as though I have apprehended, grabbed a hold of it. And this also is in the perfect tense. And Paul means by this that his past actions had not attained what he desired. It was yet in the future. When I go to Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, Paul says, for we are saved in hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. It's something out there for us. We want it. We hope for it. Because it is something that is our confidence. We hold on. We persevere. Notice the words that are used in this passage. I press on, verse 12. Verse 14, I press toward the goal. Both of these are in the present tense, meaning continual action. Literally, I am pressing. It's something I'm doing right now. I am pressing forward. I am pressing ahead. I am pressing upward. Those all indicate direction. Forward indicates I'm going in front of me. Ahead is in front of me. Upward indicates the elevation of it. The purpose is indicated in the words goal and prize in verse 14. That must focus our mind on where and what is this that 
about that which Paul speaks. Well, the place is heavenly. It's upward. In Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Paul would say, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above and not on the earth. If I am pressing on, I am now focusing away from worldly things to spiritual things. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He kept his focus. He kept his pressing toward the goal. The prize is eternal salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it for a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. We're not working... For something that is here, we're working for something that is there. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now let's bring all this to apply to ourselves. How would you describe your own spiritual condition? Would you say, I'm a backslider? I know we don't use that term as much as we used to. What that means is I'm not going forward, I'm going backwards. The truth is, there's a lot of people that are not where they used to be. And the reason why they're not where they used to be, they have turned and they have not forgotten the things which are behind. They've gone back to them. Number two, are you stagnant? That means I'm not going forward, but I'm not really going back. You're just standing in place. I'm afraid that describes way too many of us. And the fact that we, we're not doing any better than we used to do. We're not growing. We're not studying that Bible and learning the lessons. We're just stagnant. Or are we pressing on the upward way? New heights I'm gaining every day. If you want to arrive at heaven, you've got to press on. If you need to become a New Testament Christian this morning, when we begin to sing this invitation song, if you'll come to the front, we'll allow you to confess your faith in Christ. And because you are penitent of your sins, we'll baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. If you are a child of God and your life is not right, this song of encouragement is for you too. To encourage you to make things right with the God of heaven. Would you come as we stand and sing?